you take the Word of God with me and uh, turn to the book of Acts in chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> As you turn there, the Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. He has been mentioning that now for a number of chapters. That's where he wants to go. And so he is uh, down in Miletus, and while he's in Miletus, um, I believe he uh, is led of the Lord to ask for the elders of Ephesus to come down to Miletus, and he wants to meet with them. And in this meeting, there are three things that he is going to share, or three aspects of this meeting that I mentioned at the onset uh, the first part of that from verse 18 and 19 of chapter 20 is uh, Paul reflecting on his past ministry in Ephesus. And it's a, um, a good pattern for us if we're going to serve God, to do it as Paul did, as he looks back in Ephesus. And he did that, we noted, from the very first day and at all seasons. And that's a good thing to do, to be consistent. We It takes a... A lifetime to build a testimony and a good reputation among men, but it takes just a moment to lose that. But Paul was consistent and he served in Ephesus that way, and they knew that. The second aspect which we will focus on today is Paul is talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and he uh, makes a few comments about his life presently. We're going to find that there's going to be a struggle with Paul going to Jerusalem. We know that's where he's going to be in prison. He's going to be warned later by a prophet saying you shouldn't go down there. If you're going to go down there, you're going to be uh, in bonds. It seemed that uh, Paul knew that that was going to happen, yet he still went. And there's actually some criticism. Some people, commentators will say, well, Paul should have not have gone to Jerusalem with all of uh, the warnings and so on. Uh, there is really no indication, there's not really a statement in the Bible that says that Paul should not have gone there from God. There's no such thing. But nonetheless, he talks about his life today. And the third aspect of this meeting is he gives them some admonition, some instruction for the future. He's going away, and he says on two occasions in this chapter that he is never going to see them again. They're going to depart, there's going to be tears because uh, the believers were dear to Paul, and those believers, Christians in Ephesus and elders, uh, Paul was dear to them. And you find that departure, them weeping. But I would like to focus on the present perspective of Paul in his, in his life, how he viewed his life. And I think it would be helpful to us, uh, how do we view our lives today? So notice with me verse 17. Acts 20, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Out of reverence and respect for God, we began uh, probably in the midst of last year to do this, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we do this uh, not because it's tradition, but because uh, there is a purpose behind it, is we want to stand in attention to God. And the most important part of the meeting is what God has to say to us. And so I will attempt, with the Lord's help, to teach and to preach. But what God says is much more important than what I have to say. And so notice with me Acts 20, verse 17. The Bible says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, 
You know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Now let me pause here. More important than the fruit and the result of ministry is the manner of ministry. As I talked about that last week or a few weeks ago. Paul never looks back on his ministry and says, Look at how many buildings I've built. Look at how many people have been saved. He looks back and says, This is how I serve God. The fruit and the result belongs to God. We have to be concerned as to how we serve Him. How we serve Him. So verse 19, here's how he served. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And now behold. So here, notice he goes from talking about his past, ministry in Ephesus. Now he talks about now. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I'd like to bring your attention here to um, verse 24. Paul says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Paul is speaking about his life, and he puts his life in perspective, that's what he does here. And so I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled, uh, now here he says, my life. But let's turn that around, and the message to not today is this, my life. But I want you to think in terms of your life. This is Paul saying my life, but we have to think about our lives. And so, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come once again because we desire for your Spirit to speak to us. As we began the, more, the, 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 the meeting, desiring and praying that we might seek you. And so Lord, may this message be instructive to us as we think about this upcoming year. And as we reflect a little while this morning on our lives. Help us to have the mindset of Paul. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On a number of occasions in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, you find the question asked, um, what is your life? Or um, what is life about? Or, or, Or even... We could say, how is life to be measured, or what is the goal of life? Now those are basic questions, but they're important questions. 
When we think about the question, what is your life? Well, James chapter 4, verse 14 tell us, tells us, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, and he says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And so when he, we ask that question, what is your life? He says, it is brief and it is fleeting. It is a vapor. And so that is a description of life. It's brevity. But the emphasis for us on the question is, what are we determined to do while we have life? The context of James chapter 4 is, don't have the mindset of uh, saying, oh, what shall we do tomorrow? And kind of, Living life loosely, James says we don't have time to live life loosely because it is a vapor. That is what he says, what is your life? It is described as brief temporal as a vapor. But we, we can also think in terms of the question, what is the goal of life? And Jesus Christ mentions that our life is either bent towards the earthly or it is bent towards the heavenly. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for the body what ye shall put on. And he says this, Is not the life more than meat? So what is he talking about? Now he's not saying that uh, you ought not to be, uh, you know, ought not to think about uh, meat, and food, and clothing. He says life is more than that. So we have to think in terms of what is our life. It is, it is temporary. It is brief. It is, it is a vapor. But what is the goal? Our goal must not be earthly. It must be heavenly. In that passage, Jesus Christ said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you." So it's not that those things are not part of our lives. It is that those things are not a priority in our lives. But then there's another point where Jesus Christ is talking about life. And when we think about how is life to be measured. And um, Jesus says that it ought not to be measured by our possessions. Now that's how the world measures life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, And he said unto them, Take heed, and he's talking again to the disciples, and he says, Take heed, and beware of covetousness. And then he says this, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So we think of life in terms of, all right, what is our life? Well, it's a vapor, it is brief. Therefore we ought to be determined not to let life happen to us, but to live life purposely. Why? Because it is fleeting and brief. But also, we ought to have the right goal and the right pursuits. They're not earthly, but we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all those peripheral things. God will take care of them if we have the right goal. And lastly, we should not measure our life of how great a life we've lived by our possessions. Because... Life, life does not consist of those things. Now, Jesus says in that chapter, He gives the illustration of the rich man. And when He died, He says, 
then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? What was the point? If life was about possessions, then it is meaningless. Why? Because you die with nothing. So when we think about, that's an important question that uh, the New Testament deals with it. Uh, Jesus dealt with it as well. And here Paul mentions something about his life. And I want us to a little while to think about our lives and specifically our life this next year. So notice with me in Acts in our text, verse 22 and 23. Before we get to how Paul reveals a perspective on his life, we have a few things leading up to that in verse 22 and 23. He says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions uh, abide me. Now, Paul mentions here, it seems that over the last few chapters, Paul's mind was towards Jerusalem. He wanted to go there, and it seems to me before, when we get to chapter 22, there was a struggle because there were several warnings before he got to Jerusalem. Uh, the prophet says, don't go there, because if you go there, you're going to be imprisoned. And, um, and so there was warnings, it seems that, uh, God also warned Paul about Jerusalem, but you never find a command for Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There's no such command. We know that he was commanded to go into the Gentiles, but nonetheless, uh, Paul was concerned about having a ministry to the saints in Jerusalem, and I think we could say probably some of that is perhaps because of his, of his conscience and the guilt because he used to imprison and persecute those same people. And now he had the opportunity to collect an offering from the churches in Asia and to bring that offering for relief for them. So I think the motivation of Paul was pure and there was those warnings. But notice here what motivated, what prompted him in verse 22 says, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Now, the question here is, is this the Spirit of God that, that moved him or was it his own spirit that he was stirred? Well, I think when we look at this verse, we have to think about the chapters leading up to that. We find those similar expressions. Go back to chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, and uh, notice with me in verse uh, 16. Now, Paul is in Athens, and he was waiting for Silas and Timotheus to come unto him. And notice, when he saw in Athens, the Bible says, while he waited for, for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, and we talked about how this is not, if you would, the, the Spirit of God convicting him. It's Paul in his spirit getting stirred up. Why? Because of what he saw. He saw the whole city given to idolatry, and his spirit was stirred. Now, the result of that stirring is that he preached the gospel in the city. So his spirit moved him to preach. And I mentioned when I preached through that, that you know, we all get stirred about things, do we not? The problem is not often that we are stirred, but what do we do when we are stirred? And Paul did not go around uh, complaining about idolatry. He delivered the answer for idolatry, and that was the gospel. Uh, in chapter 18, notice in uh, verse 5. Um, and... Acts 18, verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was, now he's in Corinth there, 
Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And so evidently he had waited for them to come to Corinth. And when they come, he seems to be encouraged and strengthened because he had met, remember, Aquila and Priscilla, and that was that great fellowship. But he really didn't begin his ministry there in Corinth until the preaching ministry, until Timotheus and Silas joined him there, and he was pressed in the Spirit. He was encouraged in the Spirit to preach, and he did so. He preached Christ. Go to chapter 19. Notice verse 21. The Bible says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. So the idea here is, I I don't think here that we're talking about this is the Spirit of God leading Paul there. I believe that throughout the last few chapters, his spirit is stirred in him. Now remember early on when he was in Asia on his second missionary journey, he's in Asia. Remember, he wanted to go to certain parts of Galatia, but the Spirit forbade him. Now, was it a good thing that Paul wanted to go to Galatia and preach the gospel? Yes. I believe that his spirit was stirred to go there, but then the spirit came and intervened and said, you're not going to go there. Does that make sense? So we we know that there are times that we can get stirred, but then God, by his spirit, he leads us and guides us. And so the reason why I say that is sometimes some people, when they come to, when it comes to obedience to God, they're not going to obey God because they'll say something like this, well, the spirit hasn't moved me to do that. But there are points where we just simply need to obey God because He has told us to do that. You see, Paul was obediently, for example, on his first missionary journey, he preached in Asia. Why? Because he obeyed the Lord. There was no specific location that God told him to go to. But every once in a while, the Spirit of God would intervene and we'd say, not there, not there. But then He would show him where. But nonetheless, wherever he went, he was obedient. And so there is a stirring. I believe here that the reason why Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem is because his spirit was burdened. Not necessarily because it was the Lord's leading direction, but he he was burdened for the need in Jerusalem. And he had been, by the way, raising funds to take care of the poverty uh, of the believers in Jerusalem who had gone through intense persecution. And so I, I don't believe here, now some people may disagree, but I just don't believe here it's the leading of the Spirit of God. But notice what he says... So verse 22, now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. In chapter 19, we connect that to chapter 19, verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. And so he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. Notice verse 22, and then um, notice, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Verse 23. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now, Paul seems to know that if he goes to Jerusalem, it's not going to go well. Here he seems to indicate that I don't know the things that shall befall me there, but this is what I know in verse 23. And what the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. In other words, Paul says, all right, I know that some people are, have warned me about Jerusalem. And later a prophet's going to say, I have a vision from God. He says, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And so the apostle Paul, here he goes back to, well, wait a minute. Wherever I go, I'm persecuted. <laughs> it's not that I, I, like I haven't been in prison yet. Uh, the Holy Ghost has witnessed and has shown himself. And, and by the way, 
This was, by the way, the promise that God made to Paul from the very beginning of his ministry. Go back with me to chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Now, we remember the conversion of um, Paul is at the beginning of the chapter. When he is blind, he goes to Damascus. He's going to be blind for a few days. Then God uh, appears to Ananias. And so Ananias uh, in Damascus is, has a vision from God uh, to go to uh, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias, at first, he's hesitant. And by the way, we would, we would all be hesitant. Here's a persecutor, and he's wreaked havoc of the church. Now, notice what Ananias is supposed to say to Paul. Notice with me verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must, what? Wasn't that announced from the very beginning? The Holy Ghost has been witness to that wherever he's went. That he has suffered things. So understand here, some people would say later, well, Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem because he might suffer. He's been suffering all along. So I, Paul, what he is saying here is, I know there are probably some people who don't want me to go to Jerusalem, but it's not like I'm uh, not acquainted with suffering. The Holy Ghost has been a witness of what he told me from the very beginning of my calling, that I must suffer many things for the name of the Lord. All right. So with those things in mind, verse 24, here is Paul's perspective on his life. Knowing what the Holy Ghost has witnessed in every city, knowing that he desires to go to Jerusalem, but knowing what could befall him there, bonds and afflictions, but it's not new to him. So here is how he looks at his life. Verse 24, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now as we begin in that verse 24, he says, But none of these things move me. Question here, what things is he talking about? Bonds and afflictions. That's what he just mentioned. Uh, notice again verse 22 and 24. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So he says, wherever I go, there seems to be either bonds or afflictions, right? On several occasions he was beaten. He was out of uh, Lystra and Derby. He was stoned and left for dead. And so Paul has been acquainted with that in his ministry, and uh, knowing that that could happen in Jerusalem, he says, none of these things move me. Uh, the, the, the expression here, to move, basically means that none of those things cause, causes my mind to be weakened. It doesn't move me. I'm acquainted with it, but I'm not, not going to go to Jerusalem because there is potential suffering. That's just not how I view life. I am not going to disobey God or go a different direction or change my plans simply because suffering is to be expected. 
None of these things move me. These things do not call me to falter in my mind. Now, why? How could he be unmoved? Well, I think the answer is found in the next part. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Now, that seems to be a strange statement because, you know, we, as a church, Bible believers, we believe life is precious. Amen? Do we not believe that? Uh, we believe that life is fleeting and temporary is very precious and we're made in the image of God and, and every man is, so, is made in the image of God and so life is precious and ought to be deemed as precious. But here he seems to say, but I don't count my life dear unto myself, but the key is neither count I my life dear unto myself. In other words... What Paul is saying here is, I am obedient to the gospel, I am obedient to the ministry that God has given me to do, and so he's basically saying is, I'm not trying to save my life. I'm not going to do something because there are obstacles in the way, and so I'm going to continue in that direction because... I'm not trying to save my life. I'm not deeming my life precious unto myself. There's something much greater that is going on than me and my life. He says, so that I might finish my course with joy. Now, the implication is this. That if Paul did count his life dear unto himself, that means that he would not finish the course with joy. You see that? Well, wait a minute. Doesn't going the direction he's going now mean bonds and afflictions? Potentially? Yeah. But Paul is saying, if I don't do that, even with the bonds and afflictions, then I'm not going to finish my course with joy. So he says, here's, here's the choice. Here's the choice. Um, not going that direction so that I can be at ease. But it means not finishing my course with joy. Or going that direction and potentially having bonds and afflictions, but nonetheless finishing my course with joy. So which one do I want to take? Neither count on my life dear unto myself, that I might, so that I might finish my course with joy. Notice, uh, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want you to hold these things in mind because I think that this is rooted in the teaching of Jesus Christ when He taught His disciples about what it means to serve God and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now we know uh, chapter 16, this is the, the, the great chapter where Jesus Christ asked His disciples the great question. He says, uh, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Well, some say that thou art Elias, one of the prophets, and so forth. And then He says, But who... Do you say that I am? Well, Peter didn't always say the right thing, but in this case he did. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, then there's the great statement from the Lord based upon the profession of, or the confession of Peter. He says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's a message that seems to be, Wow, prevailing, yeah! And then immediately after that, 
Jesus says, uh, hey, just so you know, uh, notice if you're there in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. There's just been a statement of victory. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The disciples are excited. And then he says, I must go to Jerusalem. I will be betrayed. I will die, but I will rise again from the dead. Well, Peter, who just had the great, wonderful statement, said this now. Verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Imagine that. The word took means to grab. He gra- Peter grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ and rebuked him. Saying, be afar from thee, Lord. And can you imagine? He not only grabs him, but then he calls him Lord. <laughs> Lord? That's a strange thing to say while you're doing that. This shall not be unto thee. Verse 23, so here is how the Lord responds. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Okay. So Peter is confronted, and he says, You are interested in the earthly, not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And it seems very... Uh, uh, plausible to this point that they they don't quite understand what Messiahship was about. Uh, Most of Israel was interested in a kingdom. They were not interested in a Savior. And so now they're hearing about victory, about prevailing, and he says he's going to die. And so they didn't quite understand Messiahship. That's why Peter, if he truly understood Messiahship, he would have said, all right, you you know what is best, and you know, we know we're going to, that's necessary. But Peter says, no. So not only did they did not understand what the Messiah came fully, they knew he was the Christ, but they were thinking kingdom, not forgiveness of sins to this point. But now he brings them to an understanding of what the problem is with Peter is that he is interested in the things that be of men, not the things that be of God. And so now Jesus Christ is going to take his disciples and he's going to teach them about discipleship. And he says this in verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples... So who is he talking to? This is not a message for the world. This is a message for disciples. Now the reason why I say that is very important. Because salvation is offered to all men for free. It costs nothing. Well, to us. He gave his life, it cost him everything. But salvation costs us nothing. But if we want to serve God, then it will cost. It will cost. So, he says unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, that's a disciple, someone who follows the Lord, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. And here it is, verse 25. For whosoever will what? Save his life. Shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Mm. 
So here's what he says here. Here is what it means. And this, this is where I believe Paul gets this from. How could he say, neither count I my life dear unto myself? Paul is not trying to save his life. That's what he's saying. I'm trying to lose my life for the cause of Christ. I've given myself over to God. And I'm in His hands. And so I'm uncertain about bonds and imprisonment and affliction. I'm uncertain about that. But I do know that I'm in God's hands. And I'm not going to try to save my life. I'm going to lose my life for Christ's sake. This is not Paul desiring, understand, to die. It's Paul desiring to be used of God. That's what that is. Now, there's several elements here that, that, that are helpful. He says, if any man will come after me. Now, he says at the end of verse 24, he says, and follow me. But there are things that have to be done before we follow him. Here's the condition. If any man will come after me. If you want to be you, if you want to serve God, if we want to serve God this year in 2023, if we want to say, I want to follow Jesus Christ, I want to serve him, I want to be a servant, I want to be like Paul, then before we follow him, things have to be thought of and done in our lives. Well, what are those things? Well, number one, let him deny himself. Paul says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So, we have to deny. Deny self. Now, what is denial? I think we could illustrate denial a little later in Matthew chapter 26. Remember, Jesus says to Peter, He says, uh, before the co- he says I'll, I would die for you. And I believe he was genuinely, genuinely would die for the Lord. But remember, uh, Jesus said to Peter, before the cock crowed, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Now he said, Thou shalt deny me thrice. So Jesus was taken and Peter followed afar off and he was warming by the fire and, and people say, Aren't you a follower of Jesus Christ? And he denied that he knew the Lord. And so when we think about denial, we know what denial is. Uh, the word deny, and I've said this before, it, it means to disassociate yourself from something or someone. And so Peter, when he denied the Lord, he was disassociating himself with Christ. He says, I am not associated with Christ. That's what it means to deny. Now, so denial means, I don't associate with that. Or I don't associate with Him. That's what denial means. So what is then self-denial? Deny yourself. Well, if denial is I have to disassociate myself from something or someone, then self-denial is I have to disassociate myself from my will in favor of the will of God. I'm no longer going to identify with what I want to do but I'm going to identify with what God wants me to do. I'm going to completely disassociate myself and give my life over to God. You see, here's, here's something that we know, and this is I say that on the authority of the Word of God, that we are always seeking, all of us, we are always seeking, seeking to protect self-governance. You and I. That's what we're always looking to protect. 
self-governance, my will, <laughs> what I want to do. Uh, but Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if any man will come after me, first of all, you have to, you must disassociate yourself with your will. But that's not just it. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and then what? Take up his cross. Well, a cross is a burden that one bears. It is an affliction that is associated with a person that is bearing a burden on the road. A cross is not something that men naturally seek to or to, to take upon themselves unless they're required to do so. Now, we have the illustration, remember, when Jesus Christ was carrying his cross, he could no longer, and so they asked a man to bear the cross for him, and they compelled him to do that. And so he had to bear the burden up to Calvary. But here, this, this is not us um, taking up the cross of Christ. That's not what he says here. There's only one person that could bear the cross of Christ, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one person who could atone for our sin, the, the, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. There's only one person who could bear the cross of Christ. Christ is not asking His disciples, you need to do what I did. You need to die on the cross, just like me. That's not what He's saying. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. So disassociate yourself from your will and, and turn yourself over to the will of God and uh, be willing to carry a burden for the cause of Christ. And here is what we learn. One preacher said, there is no painless way to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't, now, isn't that what Jesus said? If any man will come after me, you want to follow the Lord today? This year in 2023? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so then here's what he says. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life, here it is the key, for my sake, the same shall find it. So when Paul says, but none of these things move me. How could he say that? Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I'm not trying to save my life. Preserve. Self-governance. So that I might finish my course with joy. Paul wanted to hear at the end what? Well done thou good and faithful servant. Why? Because he received a ministry from the Lord. He wanted to see that ministry through. And it seems that Paul understood that that meant two things. Two things. Self-denial and taking up burdens. Now I'm saying this to you today because there's two things that are going to get in the way of us faithfully serving God in 2023. Self-preservation and an unwillingness to carry burdens. Self-preservation, my will, not God's will, and an unwillingness to bear burdens. You know why people faint today? 
because they're interested more in what they want than in what God wants. Because they know, they know, and we know that's what Jesus taught. So here, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm preaching you to the truth from God's Word. That's what the Bible says. If you're going to serve God, I'm not going to tell you everything is going to be easy. You're going to have no burdens. Everything's going to be peachy and, and great. I'm telling you, now it's worth it. It's worth it. What did Paul say? So that I might finish my course with joy. See, he knew. <laughs> he knew that that would be the outcome. He knew. I think what Romans 8 says, that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul says, my life, that's how I view my life today. Let me ask you this, is that how you view your life today? Today. I believe that you can go through this year following the Lord by denying yourself and taking up burdens, your burdens, your crosses that God wants you to bear for His service. But can I encourage you that if this year, if you engage in self-denial and taking up the burdens that God wants you to carry, upon the authority of God's Word, you, would, you will finish the year with joy. And you will look back at those burdens and you will say, those burdens were worth it. That self-denial was worth it. Because here it is. Fulfillment is not found in us trying to preserve our lives. Fulfillment is found in us losing our lives in the hands of God. That's where fulfillment is found. So may the Lord help us. Let's pray.